Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Welcome to The Storytellers. Tracy Enerson Wood is a playwright, screenwriter, and novelist sometimes all about the exact same subject. Today we're going to be talking to Tracy about so many of her works. She is an international bestseller, a USA Today bestseller. She has three books out and one in the works that's going to be out in September. Tracy, welcome to the Storyteller's Microphone. Thank you, Grace. I'm so happy to be here with you. I am thrilled because you write in a genre that was my first love. If I have to pick a genre, I am going to say historical fiction, although now, as many of us who are authors, we read very, very diversely. But you write about women who are what you call overlooked women. Let's talk about that. Yes, um, I'm just sort of fascinated with the story behind the story. I think maybe it goes back to my 20-something years as a, as a military wife and just knowing about how much goes on behind the scenes and what that part of it, it looks like while, you know, people who are getting all the notoriety, not that, you know, my family w- was notorious, um, but I've always been sort of fascinated by that. And then I just started discovering women who are behind the, the big stories in, in, in history. And I just sort of was discovering one after another after another. And I just, you know, I love reading about them. And then sometimes, as in the case with my, my first book that sent me down this path, Emily Roebling, I'd never heard of her. And yet here I'd seen the Brooklyn Bridge walked across it, driven across it, you know, many times and didn't know her story. And it was discovering her story, that woman behind the scenes who really carried the whole project on her shoulders. And it would not have happened if, if it weren't for her. That was the story that just absolutely pulled at my heart. And I figured, I want to read this novel. I want to read all the books about her. She, you know, fascinating story. And, and they weren't out there. So I decided that this story needs to be out there. And I guess, you know, I looked around, I guess I'm the one to tell it. I had been, you know, doing other things, short stories and nonfiction mostly. Um, but that's sort of what sent me on, on that path. So you're talking about the book, The Engineer's Wife, a fascinating story. It made you an international bestseller, a USA Today bestseller, and you've written an awful lot since. But this was a long journey to getting this book out the door. Tell us about that, because I've never heard of anybody with quite your writing process. (laughs) Well, you know, you got to make all the mistakes first. You know, you you got to, that's my method, do everything thing wrong and, and eventually you get it right. Um, I, I actually started out uh, wanting to write a play. That's really how it all started. I, I like to write plays, just short, funny plays, basically ones you can do in 10, 20 minutes. You're easy to get up in any uh, community theater kind of thing. And I just, it was just a wonderful outlet for me because at the time I was still working in Out, uh, oh, are we okay? You still there? Well, I didn't see me, but um, no, I got you. De- you, de- you definitely froze there for a minute. So okay. you were talking. You were talking about the opportunity to write short plays, and that was yeah. your idea initially for the engineer's right. wife. So right, pick us so, up there. So, so I was writing plays, and I had this idea to write about a family 
the family dynamics of being in um, a family that had a mission, had a, a, a profession that was dangerous, sort of like the military, but I didn't really want to write about the military. It's its own thing. But I just became fascinated with the family dynamics. And I thought that'd be a great play, you know, even if I could just simply stage it and just what happens when, you know, let's say it's a husband who's out there working on tall buildings, something like that. And he came home and uh, the son was joining him in this family business and what there was was dangerous and could kill him. So I was just sort of fascinated with that dynamic. And that's the play I wanted to write. And uh, I decided I wanted to write it about real people. And I wanted to maybe do it in New York City. I grew up in northern New Jersey. And uh, I was just fascinated, have always been fascinated with the city. And I just thought, you know, how they built those great big skyscrapers. And you see the pictures of the guys, you know, up on the I-beam, 100 stories. And they are just sort of, you know, dangling their legs and la, la, la. So I thought I'd find that family that was doing that and sending the, the son and the grandson maybe up there to do that. And how's that all work out? Um, but I couldn't find the historical family that, that did that, that built those skyscrapers. But then I found the Roebling family and discovered John Roebling, who obviously designed the bridge that, you know, got the, the project going. And then sadly, um, it was killed and then passed it down to his son, who then became incapacitated. And then I found out about Emily and how she basically rescued the day. And, all right, so big story, right? I've got my story now. I'm not going to fit that in a 10-minute play, right? So I've got a, this is a big, full-length epic, maybe a musical, you know? I started writing it, and I fairly quickly realized that I didn't have the, the playwriting chops for something so big. I didn't have that as much theater experience that this needed. This was, you know, <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber, this is way out of my league. So then I decided, you know, I, and I kept seeing it in my mind, like I could, I could watch the movie on my forehead, you know, <laughs> and I could just see it. And I was kept seeing it as, as a film. So I'll write a movie, you know, <laughs> watched lots of, lots of movies. So, <laughs> so you started it as a play. You started then turned it into a screen. You turned a, a it screen. into a screenplay. And then I sent it to Hollywood because, you know, that's what you do, right? And uh, Hollywood answered, actually. And they said, you know, this is great. I've always wanted to do a picture like this. And I, you know, I worked to the, to the producers and, and directors and so forth that did that kind of thing. They said, but this is a, because of all the CGI, computer graphics, um, and then historical costuming is very expensive, the most expensive thing to make, right? And they said, so it's a 300-ish million dollar picture to make. So unless you have, you know, about 298 of those. <laughs> And you, or you were a known screenwriter, we could do it. So what they told me, several told me, was like, why don't you go out there and write a novel? And then once that's a bestseller, cause, you know, because that's easy, come back to us <laughs> and then we'll do the movie. So I'm like, okay. So I had to go back to school, learn how to write a novel, because even though I'd done short stories and nonfiction I, uh, and other ways to do this, I had never written a novel. So I basically went to school and then started writing the novel. And then that was sort of the next five years of my life. <laughs> so, so this is four or five years in. And then you got representation, which I think yes. took you additional two years, but you are agented. Yes. And it, that's, that's a tough, that is a tough leap to make. I will tell you, it's one of the most difficult parts. So, you know, writers are out there who are who are at that stage, who have something wonderful, and they're trying to get out there, and they're thinking, you know, 
going self-publishing because that's another route. That uh, that's a really big jump to make for me. That was in, important uh, because of the the scope and and the long-term plan for this. I felt that that was the way for me to go. So I just stuck it out for two years. And I learned, I learned a lot in that process. The other important thing about it, it wasn't just like two years wasted writing letters and getting, you know, rejection notes that, you know, in the old days they would paste on the walls. Now it's all electric. Um, but I really learned a lot. And some of the agents who, you know, I think are always getting pretty close. They would give you really good feedback. You know, sometimes obviously you get no feedback or you get you know, hey, not not for me kind of things. But every once in a while, you'd get those pearls, those really important pearls. And some of them actually, um, you know, did more than that. And so I learned through that. And I joined many writers groups in person, online, whatever, and sent my work out there. And I would trade with other writers. Another really important thing to do, because I learned a lot about, uh, about writing and stories from reading their books that, or their manuscripts. So that so was a really important part of the process. And I would not say just don't do it because it's hard. So you know? were you rewriting all along then? Yes. Yes. I was rewriting all that. During that five years, I was, I almost every time I got an answer back, there'd be something I knew I needed to tweak, something that wasn't resonating. Um, so, uh, and you know, and I was a newbie. Now I don't have to go through much of that because, because I have a lot of more knowledge and, and skills and I know what things I know better what things resonate with people, with, with readers and things don't, but you, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So that, that book actually did propel you to be an international and a USA Today bestseller. And then I'm going to say quite quickly after that, you came out with The War Nurse and most recently The President's Wife. Yes. Uh, those were not 10-year journeys. How quickly no. are you writing these days? Because I want to yeah. make sure we get a chance to talk about your book coming out in September. Yeah, uh, well, my editor early on said, you know, we want to get you in the habit of a book a year. You know, and I'm like, what? Huh? What? <laughs> can't can't do it. Can't do it. Um, and it, it is a, a process. And I learned all, a lot on the way. Obviously, I had all that I had learned in my my first books. So that was relearning. I didn't have to do. And I and even though I'm writing them once a year, it's really a multi year process anyway because I'm generally thinking about some concepts. I have one concept that's in, I'm in early drafting. I may have another one that I'm in the research process of, and then one that's kind of almost out there, like my current one that's going to, uh, Catherine book that's going to release um, this year, that's in editing. So they're in different processes, but it actually works well for my brain because you need to step away from your writing. You You can really get too close to it and you can't you can't really see sometimes what's wrong without stepping away. So that's when I, I'm working on something that's in a, a, a different place in, in its journey. So even though the coming out kind of once a year, it's still a multi-year process. I find it fascinating that you're able to do that. And I think that's a really great um, lesson for listeners that, you know, that stepping back and being engaged, because if we're in it for the, uh, not only the joy of writing, but the profession of writing, we do need to be prolific, and, and you are proving to be that. Uh, let's talk for a minute about The President's Wife, because I knew a little bit about this story, and most of America does not. So please tell us about this story. Fascinating. 
it oh I, I i just i love this story because i loved the characters the real characters so different from their how they're sort of historically played and i love the time in history because it's not a very well covered time even though a very important time in history with the, with the first world war um sort of post industrial revolution with automobiles coming or coming around and and homes getting electricity and plumbing for the first time things really really changing in society and and politically and in the world so it's a fascinating time um, but i think a lot more is written about the world war ii era and there are many wonderful wonderful novels about that. Um, but I shy, shy away from it because I'm, uh, for one thing, it's not as much addressed, but you really need to understand the time in history pre-World War II to understand World War II. So, and I, I, I discovered this time in history is really fascinating to me. And also because of an, I was a nurse, many of the things that were developed and then, you know, saved so many lives in World War II were developed in World War I during that time. So for me as, as a nurse, uh, background, learning all that and researching that was, was really quite fascinating. So I'm going to quick show you my cover there. I so think it's beautiful. just absolutely beautiful. But the other thing, other than the time and the, import, the importance of it in history, was learning about Woodrow and Edith themselves and their love story. Now, all my books, I don't want write romances, but all my books have some kind of a romantic element in them. Because in my mind, you can't write a 360 degree uh, character, an adult character without having that. It's an important part of life. And I think an interesting part of the read for many of uh, many of my readers. So it's always in there. But this, it was the love story in this that really attracted me to the story in the first place, because believe it or not, the big surprise was Woodrow Wilson. Or if, if you're like me, you think of this very sort of stoic college professor, college president yeah. and, and president, you know, just, you know, very stiff, very formal, because that's how he spoke and that's how he wrote. And that's what we know of him. Well, I discovered a, a book of his love letters, actually both the letters going back and forth during their fairly short courtship. And he was the most romantic writer I have ever read. I mean, blows like, you know, Jane Austen, any of them out, out of the water. It It's so beautiful. It's so fabulous. And uh, for this to be who he was in private. And then, you know, it's funny because her answers, he'd go on and on for pages about, you know, how luscious her cheeks were or something, you know, just, oh, and you're beautiful in your eyes. And I can't live a day without you. Well, he, you know, he's president during this time, right? And, and I, you know, and he's just going on and on. And she'd answer back like, yeah, that's good. And how about that Secretary of State? You know, <laughs> what, what what do you think about firing him? You know, so it was, it was the, the dichotomy of, of where they were coming from and their attitudes and that beautiful developing love story uh, was just absolutely irresistible to me. And that's why I chose to write about it. And so important because um, Mrs. Wilson takes on quite an important role. Yeah. Talk to our listeners about that. She does. Uh, you know, if anybody knows anything about the presidency, they may know that he had a severe stroke uh, in about the middle of his second term, and that uh, many historians uh, say that she basically was acting as the president. And uh, was a fairly big controversy at the time. It got hushed-hush when it was happening. Um, and so I wanted to, to research that and find out, is it true? Was she really running the, the presidency? And because I, I thought, you know, it's it's kind of bull. And uh, and no, <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, pretty much no one got to see 
uh, Woodrow Wilson, except for Edith. She screened everybody who saw him. He had a his personal secretary named Joseph Tumulty, who basically was the go-between between Edith, who would filter out whatever uh, Woodrow would say. But for, for many weeks, for six weeks, he couldn't even speak. And uh, But she thought she knew what he would want. So she was kind of interpreting. So big, you know, big questions came by. Um, so I kind of thought that would be the, the big part of the book is how she was basically sort of running the presidency with very few uh, others, you know, inter intervening. But what I found out was she didn't just sort of stumble on that in October of, of 19, uh, 1919, 1920. Uh, she was all along basically a co-president and they have letters you know there's a lot of history attesting to this she was brought in very early um and he would share with her the pillow talk was about was top secret stuff what was going on with the war because she was that's how woodrow liked to operate his family and his, his wife before edith ellen was his most important advisor so edith knew all this even though she wasn't political going in whatsoever but every night you know she was updated she actually uh, during the war, they have secret messages, you know, going to the front back and forth, right? She actually encrypted and de-encrypted the top secret messages going back and forth in the war. It's astonishing now, astonishing. So when he had the stroke, she kind of like, you know, she knew what he wanted. It was all that at that point, it was really about the League of Nations because the, the war was over and it was about developing the League of Nations as a means, of course, to prevent World War II, the next war. That was the whole point. And it all failed in no small part because of what happened uh, to Woodrow Wilson. So well, what she, did, did what she do cause World War II? That's kind of a big story question. Big question. Well, well maybe there'll be a sequel after <laughs> yeah. you get out Catherine, the right Catherine. sisters. And we're almost out of time, believe it oh, or goodness. not. But I definitely, I'm so excited about all of these books, but I've spent some time in Kitty Hawk. Um, yeah. And I want... I never knew there was a Catherine. So tell us about Catherine, the right sister. The and how right you found sister. her. And how you okay. found her. How did I? Well, actually, they're from Dayton, Ohio. Right. Uh, that's where their bike shop was. That's where they're from. My husband is from Dayton, Ohio. I actually knew quite a bit about the, the Wright brothers. And I visited, you know, they have the, the Flyer 3 there. And, and it's a very yeah. important part of Dayton history. And, uh, and actually, my son-in-law was uh, reading, I don't know, something on Facebook or something. And it was about Catherine, you know, Orville and Wilbur's baby sister and how important she was because Orville and Wilbur were not like people, pe persons. They had to go out and sell this idea because believe it or not, the Americans did not believe they could fly. They thought it was fake news to use a, 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 a modern term. But it was Catherine who pushed them, who, who when they're like, nah, you know, not going to do it because they were very introverted people. They just kind of wanted to, to, you know, play and, and, and fly kites and do it, you know. But she made it a business. She ran, they kept the bicycle shop going so they had the money because they, they weren't people of means uh, so that they had the money so they could go off to Kitty Hawk. She didn't go to Kitty Hawk. She was back home working the bicycle shop and, and getting the supplies and things they needed and they then later on when they had invented it in 1903 she went to europe with them to sell it to the europeans um the british the french and uh, the italians before they sold it to, to the americans and then then it was only after they came back from europe and she was actually kind of famous by that time she they had she was in all the papers in europe uh because you know she went up on the plane and she was big she met the princes and the kings and the prime ministers she did all that 
And yet she, you know, that it wasn't her thing to be famous. And she just sort of gotten forgotten. The French gave her a legion of honor, which very, very few women have. And she, Orville and Wilbur all got the Legion of Honor. She came back here and they had a big, big to-do in Dayton, but it really became all about Orville and Wilbur and, and and they kept on in the business, of course. And she just sort of faded back to being the, you know, well, she never went back to teaching school, which is what she did. Um, but yeah, so it's her story. And there's a little love story there too, which is absolutely addicting, a beautiful, bittersweet, unbelievable Oh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful story. Well, and we'll once have I, heard, to, I had that. I have to write that. I got to write this story. <laughs> well, we'll have to wait until September when yep. Catherine, the right sister, comes out. Meanwhile, we have the opportunity to read The President's Wife, The War Nurse, and The Engineer's Wife. Tracy Anderson Wood, you write beautifully. I can't thank wait you. to add all of your books to my TBR. Um, and thank you for being a guest here on The Storytellers. Oh, thank you so much for, for inviting me, Grace. I really, really enjoyed it and enjoyed speaking with you. Well, I can't wait, as I said, to read all of your works. I hope that our listeners enjoyed the show. This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.